You're listening to Blake the Brewery Explorer Podcast. Hi, I'm with my brew crew, Eric Bershert and Noah Jones. How are we doing today, fellas? Really excited to be able to interview easily one of my favorite breweries that we've ever uh, interviewed before. And I know I've said that a lot of times, but I just have a lot of real excitement for this particular podcast. Yeah, and I think Louie is very excited as well, so... Glad to be in Cincinnati again, and uh, we'll be going down the road, checking this out. Yeah. Noah, do you remember when we started this podcast, who you wanted to talk to? <laughs> I Can do. You? I not only remember that we had this conversation where I said that I want to talk to the 23rd largest craft brewery in the country, and do you remember what you said? That would be a dream come true. And what are we doing today, man? Where dreams do come true Sundays. That's right, Rheingeist. Rheingeist. We come. We'll see you there. See you there. See you guys. One, two, three, go! I'm thrilled to announce that we have Chris Shields, Director of Education of Rheingeist. Chris Shields, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're really thrilled to have you. You guys have been one of my favorite breweries in the world, I guess I can say, uh, for a long time. My mom moved to Cincinnati a few years before I did. And um, one of the very first places she took me was your guys' roof. And it's just a fantastic atmosphere. And, and I really think that, I think very highly of Ryan Geist. Well, awesome. That's that's lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we're very excited to be here right before the 10-year anniversary party this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you guys got to see uh, behind the curtain a little bit with some of the, uh, all the, 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 the worker bees, you know, people from, all different departments kind of coming together and, and trying to put together something that it's uh so the the anniversary party is the theme is like is basically 10 years of truth so we've been making truth our flagship beer since we opened and it's the beer that built Rheingeist and so we're kind of celebrating that a little bit we're going to have some you know we we sat down with the, the brewing heritage trail folks and they get there's some gonna be some cool images and documents showing kind of the history of this neighborhood and of this building and we also have like a little bit of kind of a a, a museum set up almost like walking through the 10 years of Rheingeist and kind of what we've done and, and what we're all about so you know whether you've been a, a fan of Rheingeist since day one or you know last week or never <laughs> you can kind of walk through and see you know this kind of crazy ride that we've been on. That's awesome. And so your the actual celebration is on Saturday, right? Yeah, this uh, Saturday, June 17th. So um, depending on when this airs, hopefully that wasn't in the past, but it likely will be. Um, but hopefully all your listeners were here and had a great time. Yes, all eight of them. No, uh, yeah, totally. There's dozens of us. <laughs> I love that show. Um, yeah, so talk to us a little bit about uh, what you do for Ryan Guys as the director of education. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, uh, a uncommon title, I'll say, but a lot of the things I do are things that are very common at any brewery. Kind of packaging them the way that we have is maybe a little bit unique. Um, I joined Rheingeist a little over eight years ago as a brewer, so my background's on the production side in in making beer. I moved to Cincinnati from North Carolina, was looking around. I had worked at I was working at a brewery before that. And kind of was fortunate to find a, a place at Rheingeist. And as Rheingeist continued to grow, 
and expand and and just really there was a couple years of really dramatic growth for the company we realized that one of the things that we value is is education and, and knowledge and understanding and we feel strongly that you know a an educated consumer is going to make better choices for themselves you know if they know what they like and they understand styles and beer and flavor a little bit then they can better choose what they're going to enjoy especially with more and more choices out in the marketplace and that really began with educating our own team you know we realized like well, we can't expect all of our you know fans and consumers to be educated if we're not there ourselves so i had uh, some background in education i've gone through some of the cicerone program and various other sort of beer centric education programs and so i really started with just doing education for our team and uh honestly it's something that we were doing even before i joined uh, Jim Matt, who's our founding head brewer, now our chief science officer, he was running kind of um, weekly tasting and education sessions where it, would, it was all over the board, right? It might be a new beer that we had, and it's just like, hey, everybody meet at the bar at, you know, three o'clock on Wednesday, and we're going to taste through this, and I'm going to tell you about it. Or maybe he would go out and buy a bunch of Hefeweizens, and we could talk about that style, right? Um or talk about dry hopping and what that process is and taste of beer. Okay, this is before it was dry hopped. This is after. So it really started from that organic nature. Are these classes for the public? These were just for our, our team. Staff. Okay. Yeah, and it was basically just, you know, whoever's around, whoever's interested. You know, there were far fewer of us at that point. Um, and people would just jump in. But as we continued to be busy, it was harder for someone on the production team to manage those projects. So I sort of dropped off of the brewing team and became sort of team of one education and started training our team. And then that spawned kind of working with some of some bars and restaurants as we grew, working with wholesalers and distributors that we partner with, and then doing some stuff for the public as well. Um, in addition to that, uh, I do a lot of things kind of more behind the scenes here, you know, uh, it, you know, meetings, emails, all those exciting things that, that everyone gets to do. But the way I like to describe it, especially to people that are a little bit familiar with the industry, like y'all and, and, you know, friends at other breweries, is I spend a lot of my time kind of translating back and forth between the production side and the sales and marketing side. And, you know, everybody has the same goal, but, you know, there's different vocabulary, different language, and different messaging around really the same thing. So one of the big things that we're really passionate about in addition to general education is we want to be open. So one of the things I do is I read through all the material that goes on our cans or on a lot of our signage and, and advertising material to say like, not just is this accurate, but is this portraying what we want? And that's a little bit of having that production background allows me to help do that. That's really interesting. I mean, for our readers, or I'm sorry, for our listeners, they're probably rolling their eyes because I always mention that I have a journalism background. Um, but in this case, it's very pertinent. So I went to a conference in Chicago at one point and I sat in on this uh, woman from, um, oh, I can't remember what company it was, but it was one of those like cooking videos that were like, they like every video they made was viral, right? Um, and it was like that kind where it's like over the dish, you can't <laughs> see, all you see are the hands like mixing the flour and whatever. And she was saying that basically uh, it was really important for 
every social media post they had to have sort of the same voice. So they like the whole company, you know, cook now or whatever. I mean, I'm making it up, but, but they, they all have the same sort of voice. So like, no matter what, they're always pretending to be this character. Is that sort of what you do as well for your packaging where you're not necessarily being like, you know, John Q public beer lover, but you're making sure that it's always like a cool sounding or happy or, or whatever. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, not as, not as much. No, okay. we do have that to some extent. So, um, for example, any tasting notes, uh, like if you go on our blog and see there's blog reviews for certain beers, the same person generally writes all of those because one, he's our sensory specialist and that's part of his responsibility and role is, is to, to develop and write those tasting notes. But to what you said, it helps to have like, you know, oh, this is, his name's Travis, shout out. Um, you know, it, oh, okay, Travis wrote this. Like you can see it and it says in the post, like, hey, this was written by Travis, our sensory specialist. So it's a little bit of that connection as well. Um, you know, like with our social media, that's a big thing. You know, I'm not directly involved in most of the social media posts, um, but we have a small team that works on those and they sit right over there, you know, um, sorry for the, you know, audio only audience, but, um, that, that's, that's a big advantage I think for us is that, you know, it's, it's a few people that are kind of participating in that and they're all putting a little bit of themselves into it. But as you said, also being cognizant of like, Hey, it's, it's Rheingeist as well. Like it's something that, you know, we are, you know, I, we're not trying to be a character, but we're trying to be authentic to who Rheingeist is. And that can be hard, especially over a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, certainly our voice uh, has probably changed a little bit over the years. We've had different people speaking, um, but we try to kind of stay true. Um, you know, behind you on the wall that I'm looking at is we have a, a vision and a mission. And th these are relatively uh, new things for us to, to kind of add some focus and say like, hey, is does this fit with who we are and what we want to do? When we do, you know, uh, like our, our, our charitable donations and charitable partnerships, like we have pillars that uh, of different types of organizations that we like to support. Sure, that gives some sort of grounding and guidelines to what we support and what we don't because we can't. I'm sure you can imagine, like we can't support everything that comes across our, our plate, but by having some structure, it allows us to, to be focused and, and, and we think make a bigger impact in those specific areas than just, you know, throwing a free t-shirt at every organization that wants one, you know, I mean, not to say that that's, I mean, it's still a free t-shirt, right? Like, but it, it, it's one person happy, right? But, but it's like, what can we do to kind of keep that focus? Gotcha. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your 10 year anniversary. You've already sort of spoken about it a little bit. I think Blake, you want to take this so one? So let's start back in your journey back in 2005. Give us a quick history lesson on back then and how you got to the point of when you guys opened. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always, it, it always makes me laugh that, um, it, you know, it is kind of funny maybe that the, the story starts in 2005 when it's 2023 and I'm talking about our 10th anniversary, but mm -hmm. You know, that the math is not, it doesn't quite work out, um, at least at first. But that that's really when our two founders, uh, Bob Bonder and Brian Goulding, really first connected. And they were living out in California, in the Bay Area. And they're both working 
um, outside of beer. They were working sort of in the business world as consultants and and bouncing around doing all these jobs. And to hear them talk about it, you know, it's like they spend all this time and effort and energy for somebody else. And and with sort of a intangible result. And they both kind of started to get that itch to to build something of their own. Now they weren't planning to do anything together at this point, but they were they were friends. They were they were buddies and they would get together after work and you know 2005 in San Francisco, there's a lot of good beer out in that area. So they're they're getting into craft beer, they're drinking craft beer. Eventually, they kind of um, part ways a little bit. Uh, Bob actually moves to Cincinnati uh, after a couple of years and starts a coffee company called Tazamia. Um, we like to joke it takes a lot of coffee to make beer. Um, uh, there's, there's a classic wine joke that it takes a lot of good beer to make good wine. Um, so it all sort of rolls around uh, there. And so he started a coffee roasting company and had a couple coffee shops. And again, at the end of the day, was, you know, hitting some of the early breweries in Cincinnati, uh, the early modern breweries in Cincinnati and, and having beer and, and, and thinking about craft. And Bryant actually got involved in working on the sales and marketing side for some breweries while he was still out in California. He worked mm-hmm. for Anderson Valley, he worked for Dogfish Head, he worked for a couple other breweries out in that area and was really kind of getting connected to the industry. So a couple more years go by, Bob sort of realizes like, hey, like, you know, I, I built this coffee thing here, but what I'd really like to do is is put a brewery in in downtown and and particularly in OTR in the neighborhood that that we're in over the Rhine. And he starts thinking about it and talking about it and he meets, you know, uh, Jim Matt who's um, homebrewing and working at a, 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 a another brewery in town and. Um, he was working at Sun King out in Indianapolis. They've, they've always been a great, like, kind of big brother to us. Uh, they're, they're a little older than us, mm-hmm. our older brother, you know. They were a great resource for us when we were getting started. But eventually, 2011, 2012 maybe, um, Bob gets really kind of serious about doing this, and he, he calls Bryant out and, and, or calls him up on the phone. And it's like, hey, come visit Cincinnati. Neither of them are from here. Um, they're both from kind of the East Coast, and but Bob has fallen in love. You know, he, he moved out here, and he fell in love with Cincinnati, and it's something it's that's easy to do. It's something. I mean, it's, it's what I did, um, so I get it. And he calls Brian out. Brian's like staying on his couch, like he's like it's going to be like a couple days, and Brian kind of has a similar experience. He sees the potential of of this city and and this area, and that just really got the ball rolling with starting a brewery and then eventually they came and saw this space and that's really what sealed the deal it's like okay we have to figure out how to do this so then it was you know find find some investors and and get this thing off the ground and so that was you know by then it was early uh 2013 uh, we actually had two of our employees have already celebrated their 10-year work anniversaries even though the brewery hasn't yet um, we celebrate the brewery's anniversary when we opened to the public, but you know, we had beer when we opened. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, Jim Mad, who I mentioned, he was our, fa- you know, employee number one. Uh, we actually did a beer, a little small batch beer that we named employee number one kind of after him, uh, in March, which was his 10 year anniversary. And then Luke was employee number two, basically. And he, uh, 
he kind of wrapped around on his 10 year anniversary uh, in May. So we're, we're getting to that point where that them opening and opening in this space and, and seeing that success is, it's really pretty wild to see all that's come from, to some extent, just that, that drive to make something and be able to have something in your hand and hold it. Um, it you know, it's something that, that also drew me to the, the brewing world on the production side is being able to say, yeah, yeah, I had a long day and I'm hot and sweaty, but I, I made that, um, you know, and I get to share it with people. And that was, that was always a really, that was always a really powerful thing for me. And I think that's a really powerful thing in general for Rheingeist and whether you're working on the production side, you know, the lab packaging, you know, brewing, or you're on the sales side or the marketing side or bartending. It's all for that goal of getting getting somebody to to have a beer or have some type of beverage and have a great experience. You know, if you're if you're working in the tap room, like you want someone to come in here and have a good time. Yeah, we'd love for them to buy some beers, but really want them to have a good time. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of translates and that entrepreneurial spirit, that sort of drive to just be creative, be innovative, and 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 kind of keep the experience in mind has has really driven what we what we try to do. I think we probably have the majority of our follow of our listeners are uh, home brewers themselves, um, and so I just think that story is really incredible. How like you know you've gone from being or you know you were at one point created by sort of like a, a make your own success story there, and now you're like the twenty third biggest yeah. brewery in the country. I mean, it's it's truly incredible. Yeah, I mean, Truth is based on one of Jim's homebrew recipes. I mean, yes. that, that, well, there's like, there's a, a direct lineage from, you know, I don't know, like 2010 or 2011 homebrew recipe and Truth still. Um, you know, Jim is still very involved in in a lot of our beers, but, you know, Truth and, and some of the ones that we've been making for a long time, like Uncle, um, you know, uh, those were his homebrews and and there's a bunch of you know several other beers of ours came from whether they were homebrew ideas of some of our other brewers or just um that kind of attitude of just having having a having an idea figuring out how to make it work and then challenging sometimes challenging the the sales team to say like okay cool like we think this is really good you convince everyone else that it is too and, and get them to try it okay Talk about beer. Which beer do you want to start with? And yeah, so let's uh, let's start with this this first one. It's it's called Beer for Humans. Hey, we're humans. I like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I figured that was a good place to start. Yeah, um, we call this a easy hop ale, which is, you know, it's both made up but also not made <laughs> up because it's 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 it is what it is, right? Um, I think sometimes people read that name and they're like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, just think, it's an easy hop. Ale. That's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, the The idea here was just to make something that's really approachable. Um, we also have an American lager that's very approachable called Cheetah, mm-hmm. but we wanted something that was, um, you know, that is really designed to to be, you know, just classic American style lager. Whereas this is like one more step towards, you know, the kind of craft beer that that got most of us interested in beer. But you know, I'm the old guy around here. Um, as wild as that is to say, you know, a lot of people now grew up with craft beer um, in a way that that I didn't. 
And having something like this that's very approachable, very just, you know, it's funny. It, it's complexity-wise, it, there's a lot there. But when you drink it, it, it just makes sense, right? For it, sure. It's got a little bit of hop aroma. It's not bitter. You know, it's it's kind of this weird hybrid. Like, it's a little bit of a Blondale. It's a little bit of a, you know, Session IPA almost. It's only 4.5%, but it doesn't have that bitterness. It has some nice malt character. has a ton of hop aroma. And that's it. And then the the story behind this beer is it's it's kind of the, the showcase for our um, charitable efforts. So, Beer for Humans is also what we call kind of our community wing. Um, all of the groups that we have in on Wednesdays to come and, and do like pint nights and all of the, the broader donation and, and charitable volunteer work that we do all is sort of under that banner of Beer for Humans. And one thing that I think is really neat is our marketing team came up with this idea to actually about every few months, uh, this beer comes in 15 packs. And on that 15 pack, we have pictures and information about some of the charities we work with. And the idea isn't, oh, you know, buy this beer and, you know, money goes to, you know, whatever X dollars goes to this, these charities. We're, we're, we're sort of doing that on our own. Right. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, Hey, person who likes Rheingeist and is a beer for humans drinker, you check these groups out. Maybe you want to volunteer. Maybe you want to get involved. Maybe there's a, a an organization that speaks to you and, and something you're passionate about. And there's a QR code on the can. There's a QR code on the 15 pack. You can go right to our website. You can donate directly to those charities and just see what they're doing. And that's been really fun for us. This is a relatively new program, the name and the beer. Um, but it's been a really cool way to kind of showcase the the partners that we have and the community that we are proud to be a part of. I don't want to get too far away from the conversation we were having about Brian Geis's history, especially this part in particular. Um, we I saw on your website that, that this building used to belong to Moorline, which is incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so originally this building and about three full city blocks of this area was uh, Christian Moorline Brewing. And this is sort of the first iteration of Christian Moorline. Uh, folks that are familiar with Cincinnati beer now, um, you know, there's the, the lager house down at the banks and there, um, there's, you know, Christian Moorline Brewing that was um, a couple blocks south of us. Separate from that, Christian Moorline was a man named Christian Moorline. <laughs> I was like, he was a, yeah, man. Um, he was a human. Also a human. Uh, also a human. There's humans everywhere in these stories. Uh, but yeah, so he was a German immigrant and with many other German immigrants lived in this neighborhood called Over the Rhine and worked at a brewery that he founded. And by some accounts, this brewery before Prohibition was making like 300,000 barrels of beer a year, which is like three times what we're making as the, as you said, 23rd largest craft brewery in the country. So a, an enormous amount of beer. I mean, like I said, our facility was their packaging building. Mm -hmm. um, it was like barrels and bottling. Um, the, the brew house was in a separate building. The, everything was in separate buildings. There's stables and, you know, lagering tunnels and caves everywhere. But Christian Moreland Brewing didn't survive prohibition in the way that some of the German named breweries uh, that are uh, still around um, 
that everyone is familiar with are, you know, in, in Milwaukee, in, in um, St. Louis, you know, St. Louis, yeah, <laughs> right, um, Colorado. Um, you know, those, those breweries survived and Christian Morline didn't, but the building, this building survived. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's really cool. It's we're in, you know, most of this building is, um, or a big chunk of this building was like 1880s, I think. And then the new part is from like 1906, uh, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really cool to see. And those of you that have been, I know you guys all have, but any, anybody who's been into the taproom can see that we try to honor some of that. We, we, we didn't cover everything up. Um, we wanted to give some of that view to history and that, that even speaks to our name, you know, Rheingeist. It's Rhine from over the Rhine and Geist being ghost or spirit. We also like puns. So spirit and alcohol is also a pun. Mm, Very nice. Sort of double meaning there. But, yeah. but it, you know, it speaks to that like, hey, there, there's a lot of brewing history, not just in this building, in this neighborhood, but in the Midwest. And a lot of that was lost after Prohibition. Cool. I, I'll never forget my first time when you walk up those stairs, you just see that massive hall. It's like, oh, wow. Then you go around the corner, see your massive brewery. It's like, oh, wow. It's a, it's... Yeah, it's one of the things that as like our employees love to sit in the tap room at the end of the day, maybe having a shift beer and watch people. You can always tell the people that it's their first time here because they do exactly what you said. They, they pop up from the top of the steps and it's like, whoa. It's sort of innocuous. I mean, from the inside, you would have no idea how grand and, yeah. and like massive this is. It's, it's I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I don't remember my first time, but I, I just, I do remember sort of that feeling of right, like, I remember where out. am I? Cause it's, I mean, again, like you sort of, I mean, you can see that like it's a big building from the outside, but you don't really know like how big rooms are, right? From right. the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our tap room is like 25,000 square feet, you know, just the tap room. Like that's, that's, the last brewery I worked at in North Carolina before I moved up here, the whole thing was 7,000 square feet. What was it? Uh, it was a place called Mystery. Um, it's gone now. Mm. Um, but uh, it was, uh, yeah, a little, a much smaller, like seven barrel kind of production brew house in, in, in the Triangle area. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the Cincy Rains will be distributed just as college football season comes around. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that beer and how that came about, that NIL deal and all that? Yeah, so uh, Cincy Light is is the name of the beer, and we're really excited about it. Um, actually, uh, Adam, our, our uh, current CEO, is a, a UC alum, and I think the entirety of our design department, um, that made it sound really big, um, <laughs> but uh, we all our marketing and design is done in-house, and... For folks that don't know, uh, University of Cincinnati has an amazing uh, design program called DAP, and, and a lot of our graphic designers, a lot of our marketing team are graduates from, from DAP. And so this is one of these things where Cincy Reigns is the, the organization that, that sort of manages the NIL um, fund. And they, they really came to us and, and were interested in, in doing something and a bunch of conversations, probably a few beers. And we we sort of landed on this partnership with uh, Cincy Light. And it's our first time doing a light lager, uh, which we're really excited about. It's something that on the production side, we've been sort of itching to, to do for a long time. And, uh, but we wanted to find the right avenue for it. And I think this is it. 
um, our design team, you know, anybody that's seen the can design, it looks really slick. It's going to be in 12 packs. And basically the way that it works is there's uh, some of the money from every 12 pack goes into the Cincy Reigns fund. And then that's used to manage kind of NIL appearances and things like that for athletes at uh, University of Cincinnati. That really is, it is a big deal because uh, right now it seems as though, you know, schools like Alabama or LSU especially has several athletes that are like making so much more money than they will when they go pro. Um, so it's a real almost like competitive edge to be able to say like we've got some NIL money for athletes. So, um, I mean, kudos to you all, I think, for doing that. But it's also really cool to get to sort of be a part of the team, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really neat, too, because one of the things that, honestly, even I didn't realize is there's there's sort of like the the really high-level NIL deals that you hear about and, you know, direct with a, a big company or something like that. But so much of it is things like athletes going and doing a, a community event, but then the NIL can give them some money to do that, you know? pay their gas or get a, give them some money for dinner. And so it, it, it not only provides some of that funding for growing the, the success, ideally, of, of UC athletics, but it helps these athletes be more involved in the community because there's, I don't, I don't necessarily want to say incentive, but to some extent there is, right? I mean, if you're, if you're an athlete, uh, certainly I am not, um, but... You know, I, I had friends that were athletes in college and they have no time. You know, every everything is scheduled out and they're busy and they're they got school, they've got practice, they got games, they got travel. And so yeah, maybe they want to go and, you know, uh do some event or or show up at, at some, you know, uh party or something like that. Um, you know, a fundraising party or something like for a charity that they believe in, but they can't in the past they couldn't get anything for that. Um, and so they had to sacrifice their limited time. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that were athletes that worked, you know, had a part-time job. And so like, this can be their part-time job and it can help, uh, help them and help grow the success of, of, of UC athletics. And I'll be the first to say that I hope that people are talking about the, the rampant success of this, um, because, uh, I've tasted some of the test batches of the, the beer. It's exactly coming out how, how we want, just really crushable, approachable lager. Mm -hmm. You know, 4.2%, low calorie, easy drinking. And it's it's a way to to, to really support. Uh, you know, I'm not from here. I'm not, I, don't, I didn't grow up a, a Bearcats fan, but just to, the community aspect of it is, is really exciting. For sure, for sure. Okay, let's go to our second. Yeah, so that's a that's a great great segue there. This is uh this is table beer, so oh. it's not Cincy Light. Uh, it's, uh, I'm really excited. I know. Oh, sorry, I realized how that, the, the new realized how that came out. It's not quite ready for for uh, for public consumption. <laughs> I think um, that's what Blake bought too. <laughs> this is uh, this is a, a beer called Table Beer, and so it's that community aspect. Um, it's sort of in that Belgian tradition of like having a beer that's just regular beer for enjoying. Um, this is four and a half percent 
but it, it comes from our fooders down in the basement. So it's a fooder aged grisette. Fooder is basically a big oak barrel. Um, technically part of our outer reaches like wild and sour beer program. But the idea is that this is just an easy beer to share with friends. It's great with food. It's great on its own. You can have a few. It's not overwhelming. Uh, Luke who runs that program likes to talk about approachable complexity. And I think this beer is really the, the poster for that philosophy. Yeah. Great words to describe it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I've had this before in your tap room and I really like it for whatever reason. Every time I take a sip, I think of like being a monk. So you really sort <laughs> of just like, even though I didn't know the, the background, I really, I truly did think that talk to us a little bit about like what we're tasting. Yeah. So this, uh, this beer has, uh, it, it's made with mixed culture. So there's some, um, wild yeast, Britannomyces in here. There's some lactic acid bacteria in here, but it's all relatively subtle. So uh, the beer is super dry. Um, there's some some uh, some grains in here, like beyond sort of malted barley. There's a little bit of spelt in here to give it some character. Not much hop, but then this beer gets aged in that fooder. And in that fooder, that wild yeast, that bacteria really, really dries it out. So this beer is extremely dry. Um, and then that sort of, you know, there's a little bit of like a leathery, funky, pineapple-y character. All that comes from the Britannomyces. Um, so I love that sort of leathery, you know, funkiness. And the sourness varies. So the other thing about this is this is, we make this beer all the time. But as it ages, you know, we're, it's not pasteurized. We're not doing anything to it. So the older the batch, the more sour, to a certain extent, it gets. Mm, so that's interesting. My wife, for example, she loves it when it's really sour. So she's always like, when she comes in here, she's like, all right, how old is the table beer that's on tap right now? You know, I'm like, just, just drink one. You know, um, but but it's it's fun because it's this different experience, and it, it's very much that artistic expression of taking these simple raw ingredients, giving them to these microorganisms and giving them time. Uh, this is not a fast beer to make. It's not, you know, um, yeah, it's, it doesn't have a ton of hops. It's not, you know, high ABV. So the, you know, those are, those are things that generally make things more expensive, but it, it's a little bit more expensive to make because of the time. And then we do sell this in bottles. But we only sell the bottles here at the brewery. So, um, draft you can find a few places around town, but if you want bottles of this, you got to come to the brewery. You got to come visit us and, and and have it here. It's well worth so your time. It reminds me of like an open fermentation beer, like you see. Some is that what, how you guys do it? An open fermentation. It's it's not a true open fermentation, okay. but it is. Um, it does spend time in that big oak fooder with those wild cultures, and we use basically a Solera method. So. We, we drain that fooder of the first batch, but we leave about 10% behind. And so then the next batch goes in, all the, that yeast and bacteria are still in there, ready to kickstart. So it, it provides some continuity with the, the brand, but also you know, it, it, it keeps that sort of culture going and, and brings that, that Brett character, that, that sourness along a little bit quicker. Um, and it's just a it's just a really fun way to play. It is a very traditional in a lot of ways, you know, our our version of a very traditional Belgian style. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, 
when you were first starting out here and going out to restaurants, did you have any pushback when it came, because you're going into a world that was, you know, mainly domestic at that time? Did you see any pushback to, oh, craft beer, I don't know, if this will work with our customers? Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly we did. Um, you know, I wasn't boots on the ground with our sales team at that time. Um, but one of the things that really worked for for us and, and for this this really part of the country is that people care about their community here. And so for us to be able to say like, come visit us, we're down the street, we're down the road, we're down the block, whatever. And people did. And they could see that it was their neighbors that work here. And the, the beer was made with care. And not to say that we never made mistakes or you know, never made a, a, a batch of beer that we weren't proud of. We, we do our best to make sure none of that gets anywhere close to anybody's lips. But it's, it's that ability to say like, hey, like, give this a try. Most people are willing to give something a try. And our team does a really good job of understanding, you know, okay, walk into a bar or a restaurant and they can kind of see like, okay, what's the vibe in here? Mm-hmm. What, what that we make is going to fit this environment. They're not right every time. You know, there's always these like wild places where there's like, you know, some dive bar that sells a whole bunch of like wild and sour beer, which isn't what you would expect. But sometimes it's just the the guy who runs the bar or the, the woman who's the beer buyer. That's what they like. And so that's what they tell their customers to try. And people try it. So much of exploring and understanding beer is just trying new things. And people around here are generally willing to do that. And that really helped us grow. Um, also getting our, our name and, and our cans into the grocery stores and, and, you know, convenience stores around helped as well because people would say, Oh, you know, Ryan guys, I've seen that. I've, I've heard of that. You know, it definitely gives us some credibility. It gives us some better reach, but yeah, I mean, having, having that little bit of openness, you know, our, all our cans say since he made, on there mm-hmm. and and that's you know we're really proud of that we're proud that our beer is from here and we're selling it here and we self-distribute our beer in cincinnati and columbus and that means that it's our it's our people it's people that work directly for ryan guys that are making those visits to bars and restaurants and i think that that helps us really connect with those customers talk to me how you got into schmidt's over in columbus i understand you guys make a lot of their beers how did you get that yeah, I think <laughs> so. I don't know all the history of that, but um, uh, Schmitz is is just this awesome like German beer hall and and restaurant and like butcher shop basically. And we for a long time sold a lot of beer there, um, and then eventually they they said, you know, hey, you guys do a really good job making these kind of classic German styles, which is funny because given our name. Sometimes people are like, oh, what do you make? Only German style beer? And it's like, no, our flagship is a West Coast IPA. <laughs> but but we do think that we do a pretty good job with these kind of classic styles. And there's a beer uh, that we've made for a long time called Steve. It's a black lager or Schwartz beer. Um, and they had that on tap and they were like, this is just, it's really doing well. And, um, so we kind of, they talked to our sales team, they, they, we worked with them and we make a couple beers that they, they're basically their house beers. Um, you can find them at some other places, but, um, that's, that's kind of what 
and, and for them, it's great because they're like, hey, these are these beers were made for us and they were. But there's uh, opportunity to, to try those. You know, you can get them in the tap room here and, and things like that. Some places around town. We have a, a kind of a Munich Hellas style pale lager and we have the sort of dark lager, black lager. Okay, so when Ohio legalized sports gambling, pretty much right away, we got news that you guys put a sports book in here. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a, a wild um, and and fortuitous sort of partnership. Uh, you know, they came to us and said, you know, hey, we're looking for places to do these promotions and kind of get word out about what we're doing. And... Um, we were kind of looking at anybody who's been into our space recently and has seen the, the sort of the little like corner, the, the sports corner. Um, that was kind of an underutilized space for a long time. And we had the idea to, you know, put a bunch of TVs in there, put a bunch of plugs for people's phones and, and just kind of make it a little area. You know, we've, we haven't always been, other than like major sporting events, we weren't really a place that people came to watch, you know, whatever every game or any any sporting event that they might want and so being able to to have some extra tvs you know getting some getting some more channels mm-hmm. um and then um really following along from putting the the big tv in that was kind of coincided with our uh our work with fc cincinnati you know being a, a pre and kind of post match spot and and during the match be able to watch all the matches here you know we needed that to be done um we had to bring in a bunch of sound engineers to be able to, you know, we're in a hundred plus year old building that echoes like crazy. So so you can, yes, you can hear the the commentators and the the action. Uh, But yeah. And then I think, I think the, the visibility of the, the, the Bengals success last season, it brought a lot of people into the tap room. Yeah. You guys watch parties. Everyone's tap room. I mean, you know, it was like, Mm -hmm. that was good for the city. You know, like because mm-hmm. uh, Eric and I were here when the Bing was clinching. That was one of the most amazing feelings in this building being there. Yeah, yeah, and Everyone that was, was just it was it was so ball. fun. Uh, you know, I was actually I was at a brewery in my neighborhood that day. Nice. Um, so uh, and that was like it was such fun energy for for Cincinnati, and I think that that kind of put you know Cincinnati and Rheingeist on the map a little bit for some of these companies that were trying to you know take advantage and capitalize on the, the 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 legalized sports betting i think also with uh Lionel messi joining inter miami um i've been seeing a lot of articles lately about how much um more how much more big i guess soccer is going to be in the united states and i think that you're really going to see more fans of the MLS going forward, but especially on days when FC Cincinnati is playing Inter-Miami, at least in the, in the beginning. I know that when we first saw that that he was coming, I texted both of them and I was like, so we're going to Ryan guys, right? Because <laughs> uh, their tickets are now like $500. Oh yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> but um, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, how you guys get to sort of celebrate with the city every time there's a game. That's got to be really, really exciting for you all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, you can easily walk to TQL stadium from, from the brewery and we're, you know, we have, we, we have our beer in the stadium and we um, you know, we have a, a lovely partnership with them. You know, they'll, they'll bring, you know, the mascots been in here a few times and, 
uh, even just this neighborhood, right? I mean, um, two of the supporter groups march from places right near here. And so the, the, the march to the, the stadium goes right past the brewery and, um, seeing that energy and seeing that success, you know, we've been, uh, we, we've had beer with FC Cincinnati back when it was USFL because they played in Nippert and we had beer at Nippert. So, you know, there is all these sort of sports themes are, are sort of intertwining at this point, but it, it really is just, it's a, it's a fun way for us to connect to the city and that the, the joy and sadness and, you know, hopefully not too much, but anger and, you know, everything that comes with being a, a sports fan, you know, I, I think that's, there's life lessons there and, and being able to see, I mean, one of my favorite things is, you know, seeing all the families that are in here for, for games and you see, you know, little kids, you know, half paying attention, playing cornhole, but they're still part of, part of that experience and, and creating those memories with their family. Okay. Let's talk about the next year, next beer. Yeah. So the next beer is truth. Surprise. Yes. Um, <laughs> I heard about this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, I, it's one of it's these things that I, I pretty much always, I, I love putting this beer in, in flights, even when it's people that have had it, I've certainly had my share, but I, I love it. I mean, it's still in my fridge. You know, I've, been, I've worked here for eight and a half years and there's still always truth in my fridge because it's, it's comforting. It's, uh, I, I love it. I think it's just as good. It's honestly probably better than it's ever been. Um, but um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about our, our brewery and, and brewing. And I figured this was a great way to talk about that because one of the big things that's important to us is quality and consistency. And, you know, we, we say around here a lot that, you know, consistency is quality. Um, you, you have to, you know, making, making something, you know, if you, if you like to cook, right? Like making a dish once that's really good, that's awesome. That should be applauded. But being able to make that day in and day out you know, that's what separates, right? Like me from, you know, a chef, right? Like, yeah, I make something good in the kitchen every once in a while. It's the difference between me and Skyline. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't, you know, I, I don't have the, the consistency and the skills to be able to do that every day and on a budget and, you know, with the right parameters. And, you know, especially for us as we've grown, you know, to be able to, somebody that sits down and has their first truth in Milwaukee and then two months later comes and visits the brewery want them to have that same experience. I don't, I don't want them to say like, oh, this tastes totally different at the brewery than it does in Milwaukee or in, you know, Tennessee. That's really important to us. And that's one of the things that, that having um, our production brew house helps us be able to do. Talk to us a little bit about automated brewing in that way. Um, it seems as though, I mean, I've never done it, so I don't really know anything. So feel free to correct and take over the conversation. But it seems like, from what I've gathered, it's mostly done by mixing in ingredients and pushing buttons and then just making sure that it doesn't, you know, stop churning, right? Yeah, to some extent, yeah. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to discount the the work that, that the production team does, but there is some level of, when we talk about an automated brew house, what that mostly does is it's things like temperature, water volumes, um, those are all very precisely measured, timing uh, particularly as well. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the brewing process, right, there's like a certain hop addition at a certain time. And with the automated uh, programming, 
the brewers still have to have that ready. But it means that, okay, if it's a 15-minute hop addition, it happens right at that, that mark. And it's the right amount of hops, and it's the right types of hops. Now, like I said, the brewers have to load them in. You know, it's not, not a bunch of robots walking around. Um, but it, it also allows them to multitask. Um, with the, the production brew house that we have, there might be two or three different beers kind of making their way through the, the, the system at one time. And that's much harder to manage if you have to micromanage all of those timings and, you know, temperatures and water and all that stuff. Having some of that automated allows the brewers to, you know, make sure the tanks are clean and make sure everything is, is happening the way it should. And it just brings an extra level of consistency to each batch. Does it make the brewing process easier for people who may have less experience than someone who's doing it all by hand? Uh, it, it, it's a... It makes it different. Um, okay. You know, it's a different skill set. Um, when you're brewing on, like in our tap room, we have this the brew house that we opened with, and we still brew on it a couple times a week. Um, it's very manual, right? You're you're you know hauling grain and you're graining out by hand and you're running around and you know if you don't check your timer and you miss the hop addition, like there's no hop addition, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Um, you have to knock out on your own, all these things. That way definitely helps you understand, you know, it's, it's sort of closer to homebrewing in a lot of ways where you can see like each step because you have to do it and you have to understand, you have to fight with it a little bit more. Um, it's, it's a little bit more uh, understanding how to solve problems that come up. But there's certainly problems that come up on the big brew house too. And in a lot of ways, they're, they can be worse. You know, you might lose three batches if the brew house goes down instead of one. Um, and so there, there still has to be that, that base level of understanding why you're doing everything. Even if the, the automation, the programming is sort of making some of the decisions for you, and don't get me wrong, our, the, the recipes are all still written and programmed by us. So as if something changes, you know, if we start to see um, over the last couple of years, uh, malted barley has had a really rough crop. So the quality of some of the, the malted barley, the, 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 the chemical parameters have changed a little bit. Higher protein, less starch, and so we've had to adjust our recipes. We're able to do that, but you know, we only do that because of the feedback that our brewers are giving based on what we're doing. Does it allow you to be a little bit more experimental? In the sense that it, we give the brewers other outlets to do experiments. Um, the, the downside to a large automated system is um, we have to find a home for those experiments. So that's why we used our smaller brew house um, to be able to make some experiments, really dial things in, and then things that are successful and that we think can continue to be successful will scale up and brew them on the, the 60 barrel production brew house. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're talking about different states. So how many states are you guys in now? Ten-ish. Okay. I, I was going to start naming them, but I don't want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, I think I probably can do it. We're in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee. Um, we're in Illinois, a little bit of Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, I didn't even count, so I don't know where I'm at. We're in West Virginia. We're in Pennsylvania. We have a tiny presence in Houston, actually, and uh, in 
uh, like the Boston area as well. I think that's might be 11. Gotcha. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of the Midwest is covered. So, so, so some other breweries' philosophies are opening tap rooms, and you guys all have stayed put here. Is there a reason why you haven't followed some of the other people's methods? Or yeah, I think I think for, and and certainly I don't want to say that we you know we learned really early that never say never is a good way to to to, to operate uh, at any brewery really, but so far we've. We really value, I mean, we talked earlier about that, you know, coming up the steps and, and having that experience. If we were to make another space, we want it to be that special and have some connection. And right now we haven't come up with what that might be. So, like I said, I'm not going to say we'll never have another location, but we're really happy with the location that we have and the neighborhood that we're in and the community that we're a part of. And you know, we, we're fortunate that we have the space and capacity to have grown to where we have given the, I mean, we're in the same location we opened in mm-hmm. and, and to be able to still be doing that and we still have room for growth. That's in and of itself kind of an advantage. So, yeah, I mean, we, um, we like to think that we, uh, tell our story pretty well. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, come, come see us, you know, we're in a bunch of states, but we're also not too spread out. You know, you can drive to pretty much everywhere that we sell beer, um, for the most part. So, being able to do that is 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 a really kind of a. I think that's really an advantage. You know, we you can say, oh, if you're in Chicago, it's five hours. Like, come see us. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Okay, let's taste this last beer. I know Noah's excited to try in this one. Yes, I am such a sour fan. Yeah, so this one is this one's uh, really new. Uh, it's called Paloma Tuesday, uh, sort of a Paloma-inspired uh, sour. So this comes from our fooder, fooder program, so mixed culture. Um, it's our house kind of culture of, of yeast and wild yeast and, and bacteria. Um, this is grapefruit, lime, sea salt, and this was aged in tequila barrels. So it spent some time in the fooder, and then it got some fruit, and then it went into some tequila barrels as well. It's very good. Yes. Very good. I like it a lot. And, um, and you know, a lot of people probably won't even know you're sour people until let's say you actually come into the tap room itself because you don't. Yeah, I mean, like we're we're not we're not putting beers like this in six packs, you know. So if you're mm-hmm. shopping at you know your grocery store, you're not going to see this stuff for the most part. Um, if you're, we do make uh, some of these beers in 500 milliliter like cork and cage bottles, but like this one is draft only, um, and it's it's a tiny part of our volume. You know, it's really just an opportunity for us to play around and have fun. So you said that Ryan guys, I'm sorry, you said the truth was your, um, flagship. largest flag, flagship, largest seller. What would be some of your other ones that, that you, that you sell on a regular basis? Yeah. So truth is, you know, uh, like I said, it's been around for our whole history. It's about 50% of what we make by volume. Wow. Uh, we also have juicy truth, which is a newer, uh, addition to the truth family. Um, we like to think of truth as like our West coast style flagship IPA and juicy truth is our juicy, hazy style flagship IPA. Um, it's not as big of a percentage of our volume, but it's also much newer. Um, and they're not, they're actually, they're, they're totally separate beers, just the same idea, right? It's like that, that truth family 
Mm -hmm. um, Cheetah is a big uh, beer for us as well. That's our American lager. Uh, just took gold at the World Beer Cup, so we're really proud of that one. Congrats. That's one of my favorites. So yeah, I'm it's not it's surprised. Yeah, so that one's that one's really really big. And then um, we we also make some cider. We make some um, you know uh, Rangais beverages, RG Bevs. So um, things like Bubbles and Zango Crush, and those are uh, th that's sort of our play in the like. We don't make seltzer, but that that's our like um, you know that world, right? They're, they're sugar fermentations with a bunch of fruit and a bunch of flavor. We, we, seltzers don't have a ton of flavor. Um, and so we wanted to do something with a little bit more to it. Yeah. I remember when I first tried my first RG Bev, um, I can't remember, I don't want to say what it was cause I can't remember exactly what it was. I don't want to be like, Oh, we don't do that. But, um, I feel like it was much better than I had anticipated simply because most times when breweries make something that's not a beer, you're, I find myself a little disappointed at least. Talk to me a little bit, I guess, about breweries making other sort of things. And I mean, you can understand why they do it. There's a lot of allergies around uh, beer, like gluten intolerance, intolerances. Also, there are people who just simply don't like beer. Um, I've had several dates in which that's the case. So talk to us a little bit about the thought behind that sort of thing that breweries will do is it inclusionary forward yeah i mean at least i think for the most part that's the reason that's that's the reason for us i mean we've been making cider since 2016 and that was kind of our first foray into not beer and the idea there was okay we know we want to offer cider well wait we can get a wine license and we can make cider and we have you know there's some legal things we have to do and 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 permitting and things Okay, step one. Step two, like, okay, can we make cider that we think is good? Like, all right, let's try it. And okay, we, we like this cider. So like, okay, let's do it. And that's really the same thing with, with the RG Bebs. It was, okay, we're seeing these things. We're seeing that, you know, um, there's this whole section of the grocery store that's, we don't have anything in, right? And like, we're we're jealous right we're like we want something in there so it's like okay well what makes sense what what can we make what are we excited about and what can we do it was a really big challenge for us uh, on the production side just because we'd never done anything like that before so we spent a ton of time a ton of energy figuring out how to do it and then also just a huge challenge for you know our sales and marketing you know it, it, we'd, we'd done beer and cider for so long it was like okay how do we tell this story and you know i don't i don't know that we've we've like really fully nailed it yet. You know, we're still kind of figuring out how, you know, how do we talk about these things? How do we get people to try this? If you're shopping in that section of the store, do you even know who Rheingeist is, right? And that's, you know, that's a challenge for us, which we're excited about, but it's, it's funny too. I was actually just telling uh, my wife over the weekend, I was drinking a Geist tea, which is our hard tea. Mm -hmm. When we decided we were gonna make that, I thought it was really cool. I was like, hey, this is a cool idea. This is really interesting, the process. I'm not gonna drink it. <laughs> I drink so much of that stuff. Like it's such a different experience, right? Like, and I, I, I like it because like, man, I don't just drink beer. I, I like coffee, I drink wine, I drink cocktails. I drink hard tea apparently. Like I, I find that like some of these RG Bevs, they're a great like palate refresher in between beers because they are different, but they're not that different. But they bring different things to the table. I, you know, I love fruity flavors. I love tea. I love lemonade. Like, depending on what I'm doing, 
we love as Rheingeist having something for everybody. Um, we don't make NA beer, but like you can get some at the tap room. Um, we don't have the capability to make any beer, so I don't see us doing that anytime real soon. Um, but you know, we we sell you know root beer and soda as well, things for kids and right like we have some snacks. You can get local cantina and get tacos. Like we 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 want to have things for people. We know that a lot of people come to Rangeist, maybe not just for the beer. Maybe they just came to watch an FC game. Maybe they came for a wedding that's their, their you know, niece or nephew's wedding. So we want to provide stuff for them to have, but we're also like, you know, uh, geisty enough. That's sort of a made up word that we have. I like um, that. That we want to do it ourselves as much as we can. I mean, we screen print our own t-shirts. Well, it was great having you. Uh, I can't even begin to thank you. This has been an awesome experience and thank you for coming on with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you, Cincinnati is so incredibly lucky to have you guys, and, and I'm a huge fan of you now even more than I thought I was. Uh, so thank you so much for having us. Mission accomplished. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more I can say, likewise. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, we're back, guys. How are you feeling after Ryan, guys? Yeah, man, it was awesome. Chris was an incredible interview. He really knew his stuff. It was, it was really, truthfully, one of the most fun conversations that I've had about craft beer, maybe ever. Nice use of the word truthfully. But, it's all um, part of the plan. And you got a cheetah on your lap, too. Yeah, we got a yeah, cheetah. Yeah, I think he prefers a puma, which if I am not mistaken, they don't make. But oh, Maybe someday. Yeah. Someday, yeah. But when we when they, we were walking in the building, just kept going back, and a bunch of offices like, I knew this place is big, but I couldn't believe it was this big. Over 300 I employees. I know, that's crazy. And they own their own freight to carry the beer across the yeah. several states that, bye bye, the several states that they take it to, which mm -hmm. is, you know. And like Chris said, they keep on looking for new people. I yeah. Mean, they're yeah. not done growing. Yeah, so, you know, I think it was really cool. Um, I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I felt like we had a lot of really awesome conversations during the show, and I'm really, really thankful that we were able to get to speak to them because they are such a vital part of the community with all the different um, different types of charity work that they do. And, and uh, you know, the NIL deal is super cool that we talked about and, and all that sort of stuff they're doing for, for the city is, is truly very impactful. Until next time, guys. Yeah, sounds fun. See you then. See you then. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Blake the Brew Explorer podcast. This podcast was hosted by me, Blake Longfellow, Noah Jones, and Eric Berkshire. This episode was also produced by Noah Jones and edited by Noah Jones and Eric Berkshire. Want to join us on our brewery exploration? Be sure to subscribe to our show and follow me at the Blake the Brew Explorer on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. If you would like to be interviewed, please reach out to Noah Jones at nojocreative at gmail.com or me at blakelongfellow at gmail.com.